you have your copy of God's Word, we'll be looking Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, verse number 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. By my count, we have people going to attend about six or seven different Christian camps uh, just in the very next little while, including well over 20 uh, that are at Camp Hensel right now. A couple of things I'd like to mention. The Lee Street congregation here in town, beginning on Saturday, June 17th, will have a Soul Winners Workshop uh, with John Rowe from the Southwest Congregation in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, coming for the day. Uh, sessions will begin about 9 in the morning at Lee Street and will continue till about 3 o'clock. The brethren at Lee Street have been really great to support functions here at Westside, especially over the last couple of years. And I think it would be very encouraging for those of us that are around, if you can take your Saturday and devote at least some of it to this soul-winning uh, seminar, it would coincide well with some of the emphasis that we've had here at Westside. It really would. And sessions include principles of preparation, personal evangelism, and the life of Jesus, uh, generating a gospel discussion, and presenting the gospel in two parts. And lunch will also be involved in that, but it would be a great opportunity for us to be able to encourage them and to kind of build on some things that are being emphasized uh, by the church here at Westside. Also beginning next week, beginning about next Sunday, the Pecos River Family Encampment. We'll have members there, including uh, Cherie and me. Cherie will be teaching a ladies' class. I'll be teaching a men's class. But anyway, Paul Shiro from the Southgate Congregation in San Angelo will be preaching there. Uh, a lot of us have connections with people that will be at the Sheffield Encampment. And I figure that Ryder and Lexi Sawyer will be among the people that will be at that camp at least for a while. Uh, of course, with their kids being the ages they are and the heat being what it is, we'll see how things go. But the Sheffield encampment has been going on for about 70 years now. Uh, a family camp that is free and for people that like to spend uh, their vacation at a vacation hot spot. I can assure you that the Sheffield family camp is a vacation hot spot. It really is with emphasis on the hot. It sure is. 
Take advantage of that if you haven't. There are sessions in the evening, uh, preaching out and, and singing, and out in the open as it is uh, with a little breeze and an overhang. It can be really comfortable if you've never gone out there. Let me ask you this, what, what labels, what labels have stuck in your heart and soul over the years? What labels have stuck in your heart and your soul over the years? For good? And have helped contribute to the person that you now are? Or for ill? Negative things that were said to you by way of labeling you that even now hurt when you think about them. You know, when we think about labels, they can be very purposeful and useful. They say a lot about content. They say a lot about care. You know, you read the label on various things, it tells you what they're made of. If I'm to buy a shirt, I like to have a shirt that's got some cotton in it and some polyester too because that way it stays wrinkle-free a little better. Just a preference, but I look for that. Content. But care is also mentioned. Don't wash this with bleach. Use a non-chlorine bleach. Things like that. We, we can see how labels can be useful and helpful in our lives. Read the directions, we tell people, if all else fails. That means that the labels have their place. But labels can also be damaging and hurtful and devastating to someone. Many of us will remember labels that were attached to children when we were young. And it's easy to carry the sting of those with us for a lifetime. What I hope all of us will understand is while labels will pull us in a number of different directions throughout our lifetimes, it is what God thinks of us that really matters. And if we are viewed by God as precious and loved, if we are viewed by God as important and unique, if we are viewed by God as beautiful, that's how we should come to see ourselves. And it's scripture that helps us to identify what labels may really mean. Because sometimes, you know, a person may say I'm conservative, but they're not conservative. Or that I am liberal and they're not liberal. A person may be a Republican in a number of ways philosophically, but far from it in other ways. A person may be a Democrat in some ways philosophically, but in other ways be poles apart from the Democratic Party in the United States. So really the best way is to look at God's word as it concerns labels and let's ask ourselves about what are labels that are worth wearing and worth living and worth dying for.
we began looking at five labels this morning, and the list could be easily added to, but I began by focusing on being a disciple loved by God. The disciple Jesus loved, remember that statement about John? Found first in John 13, 23, and going on through John chapter 21, where a number of occasions we see John, it seems, referring to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And that's not a label that he is saying with pride and arrogance. Like, I am and you're not. It seems that John is overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus could love him the way he does. Another label we examined is the label, the moniker given to Barnabas, son of encouragement. Wouldn't it be great if every person really understood that they are loved by Jesus? Wouldn't it be great if every person, man and woman, especially in the church, if we were all really encouragers, if we were all sons and daughters of encouragement? When you stop and think about it, Jesus is the master encourager. The God of all encouragement and comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. But third, we talked about this label. I'd want this as a label. I want to be a friend of sinners. Jesus was. It seems way too easy to want to keep arm's distance away from sinners. We're afraid of contamination. But Jesus came from heaven to earth to save sinners. And there was something that was so appealing and attractive about our Lord and our God that, that sinners often flocked to Him. They had questions for Him and they wanted to be around Him. And I would like for you to think about that. Are you the kind of person that sinners would like to ask questions, sincere questions, that they want to be around you? It's something we need to think about in the body of Christ. Because this is a label worth owning up to. Being someone who cares about sinners. And we looked at five passages this morning from the gospel accounts and how generally this is a condemnation of Jesus. He receives sinners, he eats with sinners and tax collectors, because they are viewed as being less than holy. But they have souls. Labels are real. We all have to deal with them. Some are unfair and inaccurate, but some are very, very true. I think about my own life. Husband... Dad, Pops, 
preacher of the gospel, friend, those are all labels I wear. You have labels you wear too. And they all come with a price. And ultimately the price has been paid by Jesus for us to be these things to all of these people. Let's look at two more now, briefly. A label we all as Christians should be willing to wear, to properly wear, is the label sound. S-O-U-N-D. Much like the three prior labels I've talked about, this can be a wonderful label or it can be twisted and misused. Just like friend of sinners, son or daughter of encouragement can be maybe misused and abused. Don't worry about it. I can get louder. Thank you. Not a problem. Now, hey, we're going to keep thanking God whenever little people make some noise in an assembly. Amen? The alternative is something we don't want to have to live with. It's all right. Now, so this idea of sound, open your Bible to 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus because sound is found, notice that rhyme, sound is found, at least eight times in these books that have to do with living the Christian life, behavior as a member of the body of Christ, the church. And sound specifically means healthy, hygienic, or the way we would put it nowadays, two thumbs up, I'll give you one, I'm gold. I'm gold right now. Everything's golden. Things are really good, healthy, hygienic. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 1.10. In 1 Timothy 1.10, we have an occurrence of this word sound, and Paul, through the Holy Spirit, speaks of things that are contrary, they're against, sound doctrine. So doctrine and soundness, doctrinal health is important. And things that are contrary to it should be regarded for what they are, unhealthy, unhygienic spiritually, damaging and hurtful to our souls, causing a clogging of one's spiritual arteries, if you will. Turn, if you will, now to another passage, 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. Notice very early on in 1 Timothy, there was this reference to soundness. There is a reference to soundness at the end of the book. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, toward the end. And you have what is sound and what is is godly what corresponds to godliness what is in harmony with godliness is healthy and sound and hygienic so 
you can see that soundness is about doctrine and soundness is about godliness. Turn in your Bibles now to 2 Timothy. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. 2 Timothy 1, 13. Hold to the pattern of sound words which you've seen in me, Paul writes, in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. So there is sound teaching or instruction. There is soundness that is equivalent to godliness. And then we can speak of soundness as it concerns a message, a pattern of sound words. The gospel of Jesus, the faith. Now turn to 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. To be healthy and hygienic and golden spiritually. To be in good shape. Verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure the sound doctrine, but having itching ears will heap up in themselves teachers after their own lust. It's a passage familiar to many of us. And Paul knows his time on earth is short in 2 Timothy, and so he's warning Timothy and others that would read this letter, including us, about the necessity of passing the faith on in its entirety and in its beauty and in its purity. That ought to matter. It did to Paul and it should to us. Now turn to Titus. These books written to younger preachers, at least younger than was Paul, to encourage them in their ministries. And in Titus 1 verse 9, in speaking of those who serve as shepherds and serving as elders, they are able to use the sound word, the sound message, what is sound, to convict those who are messed up spiritually. That's really the idea. Among other qualifications of shepherds in the church, they are to be men who love and understand the gospel and can help those who are misguided. Look at verse 13. There are those who need to be rebuked, according to this passage so that they might be sound in the faith. Mark that one too. Shepherds are to be men of good spiritual health. Imagine what happens to a congregation if leaders don't have and emphasize good spiritual health. And people are to be rebuked sharply who emphasize what's not healthy and hygienic and spiritual gold. 
Now look, if you will, at this passage. Titus 2.1. Titus 2.1. Speak the things and instruct in the things that become sound doctrine. It involves not just holding to the pattern of sound words, 2 Timothy 1.13. It involves being a person who speaks what is healthy, what's hygienic to the soul. But here's one that I really like. Look at Titus 2, verse 2. Here is one of the ways that soundness has been warped somewhat. Soundness involves one's doctrine. What one believes about what Scripture says. There can be no doubt about that. But a person can believe what is biblically right what is theologically proper on virtually every spiritual issue and not be healthy spiritually themselves. You hear what I'm saying? One can be just as straight as a gun barrel and just as empty inside. One can be as clean as a whistle with a gun barrel but there's nothing in the chamber. And God wants us to have love for Him always in the chamber. Now notice Titus 2.2. Don't miss this, Steve Horton. They need to hear it here in Midland, but they need to hear it in McCamey too. Those who are older and those who are younger too are to be exhorted To be sound in what? Faith. Sound in what? Love. Sound in what? Steadfastness. You see, no one is really healthy who isn't healthy in that trinity of faith and love and steadfastness. And older people ought to model it. Can I get an amen? But it's applicable for everybody. That doesn't mean doctrine is unimportant. Nor have I said that. One must emphasize healthy teaching. But one can stress healthy teaching without emphasizing properly enough sound in faith, sound in love, sound in steadfast endurance. So... When we talk about real spiritual health, we are always willing for God to give us an overhaul, a checkup. Some of us need checkups from the neck up. But some of us need to go down a little more with our heart and soul, too. And ask God to do a full diagnostic on us. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Talked about that last Sunday morning. That brings me to a fifth term, a final term. A label worth wearing is the label Christian. Christian. The term is found three times in the New Testament. Acts eleven twenty six. 26. 
the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Acts 26, 28, where a ruler says to Paul, Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, If any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name or in this behalf. The word Christian literally means belonging to Christ. The I-A-N ending means belonging to. Every Christian ought to be Christ-like. But the meaning of the word Christian is belonging to Jesus. Belonging to Him. I am mine no more. Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. I believe the name Christian, I hear some people say that it was a term of uh, a mockery. It was a term that people who were outside of Jesus came up with to describe Christians. There might be a shred of truth in that, but you know what? Sometimes what people mean as a cut down is one of the greatest compliments as far as a label would be concerned. I beg to say, I think that there is Old and New Testament precedent for the term Christian and for belonging to Christ. For example, in Isaiah 66 and verse 2, speaking of Gentiles coming to the Lord and a new name being given to followers of God, when Gentiles come to the Lord, where's the first account of the word Christian being used? Acts 11. What's taken place in Acts 10? Gentiles have come to the Lord. And at the beginning of Acts 11, Peter explains that. And the church rejoiced that the Gentiles had been granted repentance unto life. Verse 18 of Acts 11. Then the verses that follow... People from Antioch of Syria become Christians. People who were not all Jews. A number were Gentiles. And it's in that context. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Also Mark, Acts eleven twenty six, and the expression were called that expression in the original language occurs but nine times in the New Testament. And the other eight times, God is the one who did the calling. While I do not question that maybe some of the enemies of Christianity or those that were not so sure about Christianity called those who belong to Jesus, who follow Jesus, Christians... Neither do I question that there seems to be more to it than that because of the other eight times we're called in the New Testament refers to Jesus. But that's not all. 
It refers to God calling. Turn in your Bible to James 2, verse 7. James 2, verse 7. Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you were called? The name is a noble name, a name by which they were called. A pretty good case can be made for Christian in James 2 and verse 7. And far from being something that uh, Christians should shun, should we be known as Christians? You know, I read sometimes blogs by members of the church. Should we be calling ourselves Christians anymore? It seems to me that if we're going to let the Bible define what the label means and what's behind the label, we can't refer to ourselves as being less than Christians or as being more than Christians, but simply as Christians. How about that in 1 Peter 4, 16? If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. Now the question really is, who is a Christian? And there's so much confusion about that. But the Bible identifies what God intends by who is a Christian, just like the Bible identifies what is meant by being a son or daughter of encouragement, a friend of sinners, and the like. Being sound. You know, to some people, being a Christian is being an American. I wish it were true, but it's not. They talk about the, this country's a Christian nation, not the one I'm hearing about and reading about. There's one Christian nation, and that's the church. 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9. A holy nation, the people of God are. Our citizenship's in heaven, and really we have a, a in one way, dual citizenship. Citizens of heaven, primarily. Citizens of this country, and we, yes, there's still a lot good about it, wonderful about it. But just because an American, a person's an American, doesn't make them a Christian. How about a moralist? A person that believes in a good moral life. Now, as far as I know, there are atheists and agnostics who believe that people ought to live moral lives. They care when people are hurting and suffering in places. If they're going through some kind of thing like a typhoon, uh, uh, you know, hurricanes, these are people. They can be atheists, they can be agnostics, but they care when people are hurting. And let's not act like they don't. And they can have a pretty high moral standard and a pretty high sense of ethics in some ways. What I'm saying is a person can live morally without being a faithful Christian, but a person cannot be a faithful Christian without living morally. And God's word is the appropriate standard. How about this one? Some people think that a person is a Christian if they are a person who believes in faith only. 
Is that how the Bible speaks of a Christian? I was recently sharing with Carl Ivanhoe, who's been studying with someone who's in a denominational group, uh, a paper written by a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, in which he says, I want to talk with you about conversion in the New Testament. And he says, conversion in the New Testament is seen in five acts. Faith, repentance, confession, baptism, and reception of the, new, uh, of the Holy Spirit, which normally all take place at the same time. You hear what he just said? Faith, repentance, confession, baptism, and reception of the Holy Spirit. Are there days or weeks or months or years that separate them? He says in the New Testament... It's a package deal. And he went on to say, sometimes our Baptist friends, and he speaks as a Baptist, we deviate from the New Testament pattern. Now that's a really big admission. And we leave baptism out, excepting four of the five. Faith, repentance, confession, and the Holy Spirit, but leaving out baptism. He says that deviates from the New Testament pattern and it causes us embarrassment and we become guilty of strained exegesis. Those are his terms, not mine. It causes us embarrassment and strained exegesis because we cannot adequately account for passages like Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16, Romans 6 and verse 4, 1 Peter 3.21, etc. I can appreciate honesty, and we need to be honest too when we handle the text. It's what does the text say and where does the text lead us? Not merely the party line. Faith alone, no. How about baptism? Some people believe that baptism can come from a variety of modes. Sprinkling, pouring, immersion. Other people believe that baptism can have a very wide variety of purposes. Christening, for example, of a child that many religious groups practice. When we respect what the Bible says about the purpose of baptism, we are on solid ground. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 2.38, the washing away of one's sins by the blood of Jesus, Acts 22.16. It is preceded by faith and repentance and confession. And when one is baptized, one is promised the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sins.
that solid ground. If we're going to talk about labels, let's make sure that when we're discussing biblical subjects, we let the Bible speak as the ultimate authority. Seems like that's the way to make the most sense. Thank you for listening. A Christian, healthy in faith, in love, in steadfastness and godliness. A friend of sinners, one who is loved by the Lord Jesus, and a son or daughter of encouragement. Those are five labels I think we all could wear with humility and yet a great sense of assurance because of God. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement tonight. It may be that you are not a Christian and want to become one. That would be wonderful. What a great way to end a day. It may be that as a Christian, there have been labels that you've taken on that have bruised your heart and soul and really hurt your life. You're precious to God. You're unique to Him. There's no one in all the world exactly like you. Why not look to your Maker and Savior and friend, Jesus, to find out who you really are. Let's stand and sing.